Welcome to the Legacy Church Amelia Island podcast. We are so glad that you have joined us. Wherever you're listening from today, we believe that this message will help you to know God and leave a lasting legacy on this earth. Well, church family, why don't you go ahead and put your hands together for the goodness of our God and our King. We also welcome our online family. Thank you for joining us here today right here at Legacy Church. This is the day that the Lord has made. Anybody going to rejoice and be glad in it? Yeah? Man, that's got to be more than a song. That's got to be a posture of the heart. Well, if I don't have the opportunity to know you yet, my name is Carlos Serrano. I have the, the privilege of being the senior pastor here at this church. I'm a second-generation pastor who uh, got super blessed and married my first and last girlfriend. And I've got three wonderful daughters and just uh, loving everything about what God is doing. Anybody just loving what God is doing and just so grateful for it. Amen? You know, I found out it's a lot easier to thank God for what he's doing instead of complaining for what you haven't seen done yet. Amen? And so uh, we're just so grateful and thankful that, uh, that God has given us a, a healthy home church who, uh, who just wants to reach the community and love God's people. Can I just brag on you for a moment as a church? You guys are so wonderful. Like the responsiveness of our church to the community, to things that God is doing, to like just this morning picking up a family from uh, one of our legacy centers who you have helped through your giving and your generosity and make people feel welcome here at our church family. Our church reflects the heart of God. Look around, it's a diverse church. It's, it's older, it's younger, it's in between. I don't say ages because everybody thinks they're old and young at different ages, right? But just it's a beautiful church. It's, it's, it's what heaven's going to look like, just, just different colors, different backgrounds. Like this is the heart of God. And so I'm just so thankful for your hearts and for your lives here today. Well, today is a special day as we begin our Resurrection Sunday series. And, and this, if you didn't know, this is, we're tracking now, heading into the apex of, of really the, the life of a believer and a Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ, where the Bible says if Christ had not died and risen, then we gather in vain. And so as we prepare our hearts, just a, a few short weeks uh, away here, we, uh, we're preparing our hearts for Resurrection Sunday. And it means everything to the believer. And I pray as we unpack this series, and I've got to do a bit of foundational work today to really help us understand and, and get past the superficial stuff. You're going to find as we study in this series, there's a lot of superficial stuff that you didn't know that you were maybe focused on or there wasn't the whole piece of the pie together. You're going to get some of that today. Anybody missing the table from the last couple of weeks? Anybody missing the table? Yeah? Funny story, we were taking it out of here, and one guy goes, hey, that thing's falling apart. Let me put some screws on it. I was like, thank you. Courtney didn't want it, but I wanted it. So thank you. Because this thing's going another 12 years, another, another decade or two. Yeah. I guess you had to be here if you're here for this series. But we pray. With, well, you know what? Let me tell you what I'm going to talk to you today. That's probably the important part. I want to talk to you from the inspiration today of the Lamb. That's going to be what our talk is about today. The inspiration of the Lamb. And it's going to change everything about you and the way you view Resurrection Sunday. Will you pray with me? Father, you are faithful. You are holy. You are eternal. You are everlasting, God. And it's funny that we just have these frail words to describe your greatness, Lord. The Bible tells us the heavens declare your glory, and all I got is English to declare your glory today, Father. I feel so remiss. I feel so unholy and so unworthy that I've got to open your scripture and somehow declare who you are, what you are. And so, Holy Spirit, we lean on you today. We lean, lean into your purpose, your promise, that you would speak to your people. There are men and women and students who need you, Father. Would you reveal yourself? We trust in you this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So we're in this new series called Resurgum, and it's a Latin term. It stands for I shall rise again. And we knew that when Jesus came, the purpose was always to die, but he was going to rise again. 
And it's just this fascinating thought to think through that there are things in our life that as we track towards Resurrection Sunday, it's not just Jesus that's going to rise again, but it's things in me. It's things in you. It's things in our home. It's it's things in our lives that are going to rise again because he who is faithful has promised. Do you believe that? Are you encouraged by that? Oh, please don't, don't just put the eggs out and have the kids find them, but believe there's something in this time, in this season. We know that historically around the globe, all four corners of the world, people begin to respond to Resurrection Sunday. People don't just take up invites to come to church. Their hearts are open. We're told many Jews begin to respond to Messiah. This is such a strategic time that I hope you don't come to Resurrection Sunday by yourself. I hope that God's stirring something on the inside of you. Because God has stirred something on the inside of me and of this church. If you've been around at our prayer nights, our prayer and fast nights, if you've been around anything that God is doing in the community through this church, he's stirring us in a really powerful way. You know, I had this conversation the other day, and it awakened something on the inside of me. Have you ever spoke to someone, and they encouraged you, they awakened something inside of you? Have you ever watched, I don't know, a talk, a TED talk? It, it kind of got you thinking in a different focus. I had one of those conversations the other day, and it was very interesting. I was talking to someone in our church, and her name is Arlise, and she was talking to me about she's now uh, remembering or, or celebrating three years passing of her husband of 52 years. Has anyone ever done anything consistently for 52 years? Uh, 52 birthdays and 52 anniversaries and just all the things you do throughout these years. And she was telling me a little bit about him, and his name is Gil. And, but where she started the story was pretty interesting. She goes, November 8th, 1967 at the University of Toledo in Ohio. She says, it was a normal day. I was a student there at the school. Nothing special was going on or happening. She goes, but then the next day, November 9th, I went to go get a book from my friend. Anybody remember books? (laughs) You got to open them, you turn them, you lick your finger, you save a bookmark. She said, I went to go get a book from a friend. And when I went to get the book from a friend, she had some other friends there. And she says she locked eyes with someone named Gil. And she said, from November 9th, moving forward, they never separated. They were never apart except when they had to go to work. And so she said, from November 8th to November 9th, her life drastically changed. And we'll have a picture on the screen here to show you. That was the first weekend they met, and that was 50 years later. They never left each other's side after that first weekend. I thought about that. I said, you know, that's really encouraging, really inspiring. It's got to be difficult to walk through losing a spouse. But here's my challenge to her. I said, what if you lived every day like it was November 8th, 1967? And you didn't know what God was going to do November 9th, but he already had it planned. He already had it in store. What if you lived every single day with that anticipation, with that hope, with that belief that God had purpose and plans for you that were going to exceed your expectations? That God was going to do something in your life that you didn't even know to ask, that you didn't even know that you could imagine or you could experience. And so what if you could live every day of your life, like today is November 8th, and God's going to do something on November 9th? I challenged her, and I'm going to challenge you here today. Let's live in expectancy. Let's live in expectancy of what our king may do, of what he may reveal, of how he may touch us, of how he may move in our lives in a way that we don't even yet know. I love Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It encourages in this same way when it says this. It says, to him who is able to do immeasurably more 
than all we can ask or imagine. Translation in the Greek, Hebrew, Latin, and English, God can blow your mind. God can blow your mind. I mean, look at the scripture. It says he can do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. I don't care how big your imagination is, the God that we serve, he can blow that. He can make that look so small to what he can do. The scripture says the heavens declare his glory. The scripture says so as far as the heavens are from the earth, so as far as our ways from his ways. Do you know the God that we serve? I think it's a healthy reminder that he is so capable. He is so able in a world that, man, if you allow yourself, you can get depressed real quick, real easy. Maybe you can be reminded about hurtful moments in life or traumatic moments. You can find yourself just saying, what is there worth living for? There's a November 9th worth living for. There's a God doing things behind the scene that you're just going to arrive in. You're going to walk in and see God do wonderful things. You know, there's a problem with not having a posture of expectation of what God may do in your life, of how God may reveal himself in your life. And the scripture reveals it pretty clearly. The problem with not having a posture of expectation can really hurt us. Can I show you how? I want to take you back to a place, Jerusalem, A.D. 33. Not much expectation. Not a lot of people looking for things to happen. We're told people felt like God had been silent for 500 years. The last time they heard of expectation, the last time they heard of God wanting to do something, it came through a prophet called Malachi. 500 years they've been waiting. God, where are you? When are you going to reveal yourself? We see all the prophecies, all the things that are going on, and we've heard nothing from you. So they thought. Problematic not having a posture of expectation. You fall away from God like many in Israel did. You fall away from the expectations. You fall away from the habits and behaviors and seeking God's face because you may not know that he's just about to arrive and just about to do something wonderful. There are a few whispers around town. There's this weird guy wearing camel skin, eating locusts, shouting out random things, want to get everybody wet in their clothes and calling it baptism. If you're Jewish, a mikvah, like, what, what is he talking about? What is he doing here? And there's an even stranger guy that came from dysfunction. Mom got pregnant before he was married. He was from the hood or the ghetto or the wrong side of the tracks. We wouldn't want our kids to grow up in his area of town. From Nazareth, even Nathaniel said, there's nothing good in that. I come out of Nazareth. Don't even look that way. Nothing good. Had all these kind of weird things about him. Traveled with 12 guys. His name was Jesus of Nazareth. They're like, well, that, that can't be anything. Their posture wasn't focused on what God might do. But what they didn't know is that November 9th was coming. It was coming in the form of a sacrificial lamb. Their posture for the vast majority were were missing what God was going to do and what he was going to reveal. God institutes something to to reveal his posture. God institutes something to, to, to blend the lines of Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant through something called animal sacrifice. Someone say animal sacrifice. God began to show and reveal himself to his people by bridging the gap between animal sacrifice. And, and we say today that the posture of a lamb or the inspiration of a lamb, we say things like that. In our culture today, that means nothing. Some of you thinking of that little thing that turns around where they cut the lamb off. What's that called, Courtney? The thing that turns around, you cut lamb off from it. Anybody? Has anyone got up Nassau County in their life? The turning thing. Is it a spit? We're all going to take a mission trip, but to get cultured. That's what we're going to do. But when we hear lamb or we hear sheep, we probably think of those things. But first century Jerusalem, 
You hear the word or the terminology lamb or sheep, and your mind goes some immediate places. Your mind goes to sacrifice. Your mind goes to slaughtering. Your mind goes to finances because that costs you something. And so when we talk about the, the inspiration of the lamb or the sacrificial lamb or the sheep, we throw that terminology around all the time in the church. But do we know what that means? Do we know the importance of it? Do we know that it would have stopped the conversation? If you would be like, okay, so what are you talking about? How much did that cost you? Or, or, or what sin are we talking about? And so these are things I want to unpack for us as a church family that we can play on all kinds of emotions coming to Resurrection Sunday, couldn't we? But if we don't know the story behind the story, if we don't understand what God was putting together, if we don't understand what was combined through 42 generations that God was putting together a plan, let me help you. We have been missing it. We have been given access to the superficial, just skimming the top and not seeing what God has in the immeasurable, the exceeding, and the abundant. Someone say amen. God institutes something called animal sacrifice from the beginning of humanity. You'll see this in the beginning of your Bible, and it'll continue until you get to the point of Jesus. But he institutes animal sacrifice from the beginning of humanity so humanity could understand the concepts of two important things, the price of sin and the price of sacrifice. These concepts we have to understand. Do you know why? Because whenever the devil tempts you and I with sin, he never talks to about the sacrifice. Never the price we have to pay. Never the people it's going to hurt. Never the time it'll take us to get our lives right and restored with the Lord. He never shows us that part. He just shows what's going to feel good to get somebody back or to do something that feels good in the moment. Anybody been robbed by the moment before? God instituted this practice to show us the importance of the price of sin and the price of sacrifice. No matter what the devil, the world has tried to convince us all of, Neither sin or sacrifice has ever been free. It's always been a cost. Sin has always been problematic because it creates a separation from God and his people. Why? Because God is holy, and a holy God, there has to be some way to deal with sin. In our culture, we don't talk about sin and repentance a whole lot, so I try to talk about sin and repentance a whole lot around here, and in my home as well. Watch this. A good definition of sin is this. Sin is a separation from God or God's intended purpose for our lives. Church family, let's take sin serious. Let's not play around with it. Let's not say the kind of stuff, well, God will forgive me anyway. If you think that way, if you live that way, if you operate that way, you might want to check what true salvation looks like because we don't take advantage of salvation or the goodness of our God. Amen? So what was God's design to get his people back? When we would fall into sin, we'd give way to temptation from lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, the pride of life, the enemy. What was the way that God would draw his people back to him? What was his original design? God's design, he would remedy it through animal sacrifice. Now, if you're not familiar with this and it sounds strange or weird, it is strange and weird. But when you understand the purpose behind it, it becomes beautiful. It's this beautiful act of obedience and surrender and substitution, a beautiful act of atonement that you and I didn't understand or maybe know until we jumped into the scripture. So I'm going to show you this. God requires animal sacrifice to provide, listen, temporary covering of sins. And we see this in the scriptures, found all throughout the scripture, because Hebrews 9.22 says this, without the shedding of what? There's no forgiveness of what? So what did God set up from the beginning? What has to be shed? For forgiveness of what? So you and I can't be right with God without the shedding of what? 
And that's a theme, a reoccurring theme from Genesis all the way to Revelation that you and I, when we see this in the Bible, our Bible reading plans, whatever's going on, a Bible study, a Sunday service, you see blood, you see forgiveness of sin. You see blood, things can't pass. You remember in the Exodus, the death angel couldn't pass by what? Was the death angel an angel or a demon? Not your question. It's the angel. If an angel can't get past the blood, can a demon? If you put the blood of Christ over your home, if an angel can't get past it, can a demon? That wasn't even the notes. That was just free. (laughs) We see this very early on, Genesis chapter 3. What does God clothe Adam and Eve with? Sacrificial animal skin. Then Genesis chapter 8, we have Noah who builds the altar, or builds the, the ark, and, and after it's all said and done, what does he do? Create an altar, animal sacrifice before God. God is setting up something here. He's showing us something here. He's drawing us attention, our attention to something here. If we keep reading and reading and reading, animal sacrifice, blood, atonement, repentance, right standing with God, what is he saying? We arrive now at everybody's favorite book of the Bible, Leviticus chapter 4. Why are you laughing? Whose favorite book is Leviticus chapter 4? Anybody in the house? Oh, good. None of you are lying. Fantastic. We've got some truth, truth, people who are truthful in the house. Leviticus chapter 4, verse 32. You're going to read about animal sacrifice, about blood, about redemption, about atonement, but you don't know why you're reading that. We're going to make a big deal of Christ on the cross and Christ being resurrected, a big deal of him dying on Passover. But if you don't know what that means, you don't know what that means. And you can't appreciate what God set up. You can't appreciate the love of the Father. You can't appreciate the true redemption. So at the end of this service, if you stay awake, if you stay attentive, you're going to know what it means. You're going to be able to teach it and preach it and speak it at your table right in your home. Leviticus 4.32 says this, if someone brings a what? A lamb or a sheep. Here's this language. As their what? Sin offering. Sin offering a lamb. Let's see what's going to happen. Without defect, it's got to be the best. Verse 33, they're to lay their hand on its head and slaughter it for a sin offering. At the place where the burnt offering is what? Anybody here last week? You learned how God feels about slaughtering a sacrifice. It's all throughout the Bible. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them and for their sin they have committed, and they will be what? All kind of key terms in their words. Atonement. Someone taking my sin, someone taking your sin and making atonement and forgiving us. So why does God set this system up? Does anybody know? Ask your neighbor. Why is God setting this up? Why animal sacrifice? What, what is he doing here? What is God doing? Why animal sacrifice? Because sacrifice anything in the world. Why? He's foreshadowing something here. He's foreshadowing the perfect and the complete sacrifice of someone. I'm not going to give it away. Most of you know, but I'm not going to give it away. <laughs> Here's the next question, next logical question. And I probably only ask this question because I have a dog now. I'm a dog owner. Did I tell you guys that? I'm a dog owner now. It keeps coming up in my messages. I don't know what this means. And I'm not a dog dad. I'm just a dog owner. But maybe because I have a dog now, I'm asking this question. Why animals? What did they ever do that was wrong? Everybody wondered that. Why are you, why are you taking, they're blameless. They're innocent. That is the point. The animals were innocent. The animals were blameless. The animals didn't deserve what was happening to them in the sacrifice. And so it's going to foreshadow someone who didn't deserve it. Someone who was blameless. Someone who didn't deserve it. This is what God is hoping to teach you and I through what? The scripture. You don't learn this by just flipping around on YouTube. 
and watching someone on TV. You've got to read the scriptures, see what God is revealing to you through his word. Did you know God was hoping that we would read this book and not start at the end or in the middle or just a cliff notes on Sundays? Did you know that? Can you imagine if you opened any other book, the last few chapters, you said, and it's not for me. Too confusing, too deep, too much. We wouldn't do that with any other book. We do with this book, the Bible. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if someone, uh, a surgeon, you know, they're doing robotics now for surgery. If he opened the last couple pages of the robotics uh, book and, and teaching him how to do surgery on a patient, he's like, yeah, I don't get it. The Bible that we have to teach and preach and learn and desire and want has to be holistic, all of it. And so to understand the cross, and we all want that, right? We all want the crucifixion. We all want the resurrection. We all want that. But you won't get it without this portion, without your favorite chapter, Leviticus chapter 4. You've got to have it all to understand the word of God. Because what you'll find out is this, is that the word of God is one of the only books that people just jump in anywhere and get upset when they don't understand it. It's like you rolling into a trigonometry class and say, no, I don't like algebra, I don't like geometry, I didn't take it. But I'm going to understand trigonometry. No, you are not. You need the inclusive word. You've got to be invested in the plots, the characters, the themes, the sorrows, the victories. When you're invested in it, then you truly understand what God has to say to you. Because foreshadowing means nothing if you don't know what is being foreshadowed. Oh, man, this is going to be good for someone. This is the only book where people pick it up somewhere in the middle and get mad when they don't understand it. This is the only book where people say the book is the problem and not me. Yeah, I don't like absolute truth. I don't like the way God planned it. You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say it's cultural. I'm going to say that's Jewish. I'm going to say that was for then and not now. I'm going to say God has a new dispensation and a new covenant. It's the only book people do this with, and it's really strange. But at the same time, watch this, it's the only book that can save our souls. It's the only book that can save our souls. And someone in my position, I've got to be so just prayerful, not just play on emotions and, and give you know, the, the crowd what they want for Resurrection Sunday. No, do you even know what it means? Do you know why it took 42 generations for Jesus to come? Do you even know why all the symbolism is going on? Do you know why he picks animal sacrifice? Do you know why he picks a lamb and then sometimes picks a scapegoat? Do you know why there's a ram in the thicket? There's all this imagery. There's all this sacrifice. There's all these things going on preparing the greatest sacrifice the world would ever know. Do you know his name yet? I'm not going to say it yet. Palm Sunday and yes, Jesus. Yeshua HaMashiach, our Messiah. Laying down his life on the cross means nothing, and we can't appreciate the process without understanding the story, the holistic story. If there's no process or system by way of forgiveness of sin, did you know that this life is as good as it gets? If there's no system, if there's no way of God drawing us close to him, this life, whatever Monday through Friday look like for you, that's as good as it gets, guys. One prophet said, that's all, folks. This is as good as it gets. Oh, but if there's more than this, it gets way better. If God has a purpose and a plan, it gets way better. If God orders the steps of the righteous, it gets way better. If people and things in the world meant evil, but God uses that evil and does good, Genesis 50, 20, it gets way better. 
Every one of us have a November 9th waiting for us, a paradigm-shifting moment, God moving behind the scenes. As you sit here right now, he's moving behind the scenes. And so here's what he sets up from the beginning of time until A.D. 33 in world history. You have to take a lamb as representative of your family to the high priest in the front courtyard and hold it down. And as you hold down the lamb, you're putting pressure on the lamb, signifying the sins of your home. There was no God forgive me of my sins. This was a system set up. God was showing accountability for your life, single, or for your home, married. You have accountability for your sins. And you are to come before the Lord in this time. Come to the temple and not hide it because we're good about it. Not look super religious because we're good about it. Not looking holier than thou because we're good about it. Not talk about everybody else's sin that we don't struggle with. Are we good with that? Oh, we attack sins we don't struggle with. You couldn't do that. You brought your lamb. Everybody brought their lamb. Oh, and the lamb wasn't free. There was no free access coming into the temple. You paid for your lamb. You had your lamb on the sacrifice, and you put pressure on the lamb. As you put pressure, it signified the weight of your sin, the weight of your family. And you know what the priest would do? He would take a knife and slit the throat of that sheep. Does that feel over the top? Does that feel like a bit much? Let me tell you what's a bit much, what's over the top. Sin and how it's destroying our families and destroying our homes, and destroying our society, and destroying our nation. You want to know what's destroying our nation? Sin. That's why that wasn't over the top. That's why animal sacrifice wasn't over the top. God is showing you and I, you cut that thing off. You do away with it. You surrender to it. You do what? You slaughter, you sacrifice. Do you see how God works all this together? You slaughter and you sacrifice. And this is what every family representative was to do. If you didn't take the lamb to the temple courtyards, if you didn't sacrifice the lamb, your family was mired in sin, mired in dysfunction, mired in everything you refused to slaughter that week and that month and that year. Your family just sat in sin. I wonder how many of our families and our homes are sitting in sin right now. Because we haven't used the table of our homes to slaughter sin and slaughter dysfunction and slaughter generational curses that have walked down from generation to generation to generation. Many of us practice the Sabbath in our homes. My family and I, we talk about this with our girls, generational sins and different things that pass down our line. Guess what? It stops here, girls. It stops here and it stops now because we will sacrifice on the altar to our king. Someone say amen. God commands the nation of Israel to perform all kinds of sacrifices. And it's really unique that he has different sacrifices throughout the year. But this is the big one. This is Passover. This is unleavened bread. This is the one where he teaches his people to come. And and I want to give you a description of what the, the Passover lamb or what this lamb had to be. See if you see any symbolism here. First, the animal had to be spotless, pure, at its best. Second, the person offering the sacrifice had to identify with the animal, saying, this is carrying my sin. And third, the person offering the sacrifice had to inflict death upon it. When this was done in faith, in this time, AD 33 and previous, it was done temporary. Someone say temporary. So at the festival, you're doing this every time for temporary forgiveness and atonement for your sins. But as we make our way to Resurrection Sunday, we have to understand the context of Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday and what's going on here. See, as Jesus is coming into the city, as Jesus is making his way to the, to the, to the Garden of Gethsemane, he's making his way to all things that are going to happen leading up to the cross. You know what the backdrop is? Something called Passover. Someone say Passover. 
Passover is massive. Passover, there's, there's millions making the pilgrimage to Jerusalem to do what? What are they doing? Why are they coming there? You're listening to sacrifice. They're bringing their lamb so they can what? Repent of their sins. They come before God and saying, we have sin as a family. We have sin as a marriage. We're an unholy people. We are going to come before you, God, to repent, to be restored as an atonement of sacrifice. We're not hiding our sin. We're not hiding our shame. You know who likes us to do that? The devil. We're not going to privately struggle. We're going to get around a group of believers. We're going to have a small group. We're going to have accountability at the church and at our home and say, Lord, we have sinned. Would you come and restore us? Lord, we are are losing the battle of temptation. Lord, we're losing the battle of being kind and caring and loving. We're losing the battle of loving you with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. And oh, yeah, for sure that one, loving my neighbor as myself. We're losing that battle, God. And so as they're losing the battle, they come before the Lord. Transparency, no blacked out buildings with strobe lights and fog machines. Uh-uh. Windows, actually no windows, courtyard. And you're saying, I have sinned far from God. I'm unholy. I repent. I'm going to get right with God. You are all my witnesses around me this Passover. I'm going to get right with God. And so the backdrop of what's happening with Jesus heading to the cross is what? Passover. And if you don't understand what Passover is, it's a pretty big one to miss. We're told Passover, there are millions in the city. There was all kind of sacrifices going on. And what was happening, they were commemorating Passover from the book of Exodus. Quick overview of Passover um, in the Hebrew is Pesach. It's a Jewish festival celebrating what? The exodus from Egypt. You have to know this to understand what Jesus was doing and why he was in Jerusalem. You have to understand this to understand how he dies the way he dies. And so quick overview that God's people was in Israel. They were in Israel in 430 years of slavery, and God's going to liberate them and set them free. And this is celebrated by the Feast of Passover, all the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's a commemoration to the Lord that involves a special meal. Many of you have, have participated in seders, but it, it tells of the story of God in the, in the book of Exodus. Exodus 6.6 6 walks through Moses going to the, to the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and saying, you're going to let my people go. And nine different plagues come. He's like, no, I'm God. I'm God. I don't know you're God. But how, how many know when plague number 10 came around, Pharaoh wasn't God anymore. Pharaoh bowed, bowed to the one and true living God. And so plague 10 comes around, he takes the firstborn. But I want to interject here, just sprinkling a few scriptures. I know I've got to be quick with it, but Exodus chapter 12, there's a few scriptures. I've got to give you full context of Passover time, of Jesus, Passover lamb, and all these things so you can truly understand the story. So watch this, Exodus 12 verse 3. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man shall take a what? Here we go, animal sacrifice again. For his family, one for each household. God is so about the family. God is so about the household. Everything he preps and positions spiritually, you know what it's about? Family, the household. What we just kind of do away with in our culture and kind of make real cynical, God said, no, that's what's first to me. Verse 5, it says, the animals you choose must be year-old males without what? From the very beginning, you can't serve God any old kind of way. You can't give God what's left over. You give him your best or nothing at all. Even if God wanted to, he couldn't accept second best. Not possible. He's God. He's holy. He's set apart. Verse 6, take care of them to the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must do what? Slaughter at twilight. Now, I guarantee the vast majority of us have read through the scripture and be like, all right, next scripture, next verse. Okay, did my chapter for the day. You don't know what you just read. 
You don't know what you just read. You read a precursor. You read a foreshadowing of Jesus. It said the lamb had to be slaughtered, but not any old time. What time? Between 3 and 5 p.m. Exodus. God says this is how it's going to be done. This is how it's going to happen. Verse 7. Then they take some of the what? Anytime you see blood, what is that? Forgiveness. Blood and put it on the sides, the top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. And so now there's a blood covenant going over these doorposts. And we know from the scripture what will happen here. Verse 11, it is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I'll bring judgment on not just, watch this, the people of Egypt, but watch the gods of Egypt. Oh, man, there's so many gods in our world then and today. It's amazing. He says, because I am the Lord. And so that's where the word Passover comes from. The death angel did what? Passed over. Not hard. Verse 13, the blood will be a sign for you and on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will do what? Passover. When God sees the blood of your prayers over your home, you sitting at the table, you gathering with your family, you claiming your home, you anointing your family, what happens, what must happen? Passover. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, as a lasting ordinance. So the Passover, the Sabbath, like all these things, God says to remember him by these actions, by these rituals. Isn't it funny? God didn't build it, or Jesus didn't build a big building or a big statue and say, hey, remember me by this. He has ordinance and precepts and principles and family gatherings around the table. That's how he says, this is how you remember me. At the table, what did Jesus say? Do this remembrance of what? And how do you gather with your family? It's amazing what he does here. When Jesus celebrates Passover with the disciples, this had been a lasting ordinance for over a thousand years. As a matter of fact, this is the oldest religious sacrament known to man and is still operating alive and well. My family and I will take part in Seder this year. The reason this festival is in place is because it foreshadows Jesus who will be revealed as what? The Passover lamb to both Jew and Gentile. Did you wonder when Jesus would keep telling people, it's not my time yet? Like they would try to apprehend him, the chief priest, they would try to kill him, do stuff. He would say, it's not my time, it's not my time, it's not my time. Do you know why? He had to die on Passover. So what does that tell you? Whatever God's plans for your life, no chief priests, no high priests, no Herod, no Pilate, no Roman officials, no betraying, backstabbing Judas can alter God's plans. Jesus said, it's not my time. It's not my time. The time was, what we're going to see here is Passover. The certain time, the certain place it had to happen. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he gets a revelation and he says this, look. What does he say? The Lamb of God. Before Jesus had done anything, the Lamb of God. God gives them a revelation. There's sin in the culture. There's sin in the people. And there's going to be a sacrifice that, watch this, doesn't take away the sin of the world annually. It takes away the sin of the world. Oh, someone's growing in their faith right now. You're going from the baby stuff. You're going from the milk stuff to the meat stuff. John the Baptist, he saw this lamb. He saw the Passover lamb. He says, look, get everybody's attention. Now, he was baptizing. He had his own ministry, but he's telling everybody, deflecting attention, look. 
That's the lamb. That's the one we've been waiting for. That's the one that you don't have to take to the temple court and slaughter anymore. That's the one who will take our sin, our sorrow, and will heal our homes and our lives. He says, that's the lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. And it doesn't stop there. It continues. Peter, he gets this revelation as well. He says, this is 1 Peter 1.19. He said, the precious what? Blood of Christ. Blood of Christ. This is the blood that we've been lacking. This is the blood that you have not been putting over your career or your finances. This is the blood you have not yet put over your mental health or emotional health. This is the blood that's not put over your family relationships. That's why you guys are still estranged. That's why you can't stand family gatherings because the blood has not been applied for forgiveness, for healing, for wholeness, even if they did do you wrong or did hurt you. Even if there is sin, the blood of the lamb, we're told, it's without blemish. It's without defect. That means it's perfect. That means it can heal everything. Not just restore, but, but make things new. I like what Paul says to the Corinthian church. He's reminding them that you can't get Palm Sunday. You can't get the Last Supper. You can't get the Garden of Gethsemane. You can't get the, the Via de la Rosa up to the Golgotha. You can't get the cross. You can't get the tomb. He says this in 1 Corinthians 5. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. He's like, you guys are camping out in a lot of scriptures over here because you can, you can emote some emotion, but you're forgetting there's a big story. There's so much that goes into this. There's so much that God planned. There's so much that God purposed. There's so much God put into thousands and thousands and millennia to purpose, to organize the purpose and the plans of God. So what does that teach you and I? God's doing the same for your life. He's doing the same for your home. Everything that concerns you, everything that you're, you're, you're worried about, that your anxiety written about, everything that's important to you, guess what? It's important to God. In the same way he organizes and goes ahead of everything going on in the life of Scripture, he does it in our life as well. And so you see the, the men of the Bible here, they're, 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 they're seeing Christ, but they're seeing him as this lamb who, who slayed who is going to be slain for the sins of the world. You're seeing that they're, they're doing the math. They, they know the whole story of the Bible. They didn't just jump in somewhere in Luke and just start reading. They didn't, Luke didn't exist, but you know what I mean. They, they, they knew the whole scripture. They knew the, the whole story of how God had to come, of how he had to, he had to come and, and be sacrificed in this, this Passover lamb. They knew the whole story and the plan of God. And so watch this as Jesus, the Passover lamb, comes into Jerusalem in this time. And, and he has the last supper and he says he's going to be betrayed. He says he's going to go to the cross. He says he's going to sacrifice himself for the world. When he goes to the cross, someone has a revelation by the name of Matthew. Look at Matthew's revelation, chapter 27, verse 46. He said, hold on. We're hiding in here, and word has gotten back to us that about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hold on. He's crying out. Three o'clock. They're slaughtering the lambs right now at the temple in the courtyard. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Jesus multiple times was threatened. Multiple times could have died. Multiple times could have been apprehended. But this is the time and this is the moment, the Garden of Gethsemane, this is the time, this is the moment, three years of ministry. Now it culminates. 
And at the same time, all the lambs are being slaughtered. Who's being slaughtered? Oh, the cross means so much more than you think. At three o'clock, Jesus went to all kinds of courts. We're told no less than six different courts he had to go to, back and forth from Roman to Jew and back and forth. And when it was all said and done, the whipping, the scourging, the carrying of the cross, everybody said and did what they wanted to him. They just, they just they mutilated his body. Isaiah says he, didn't, he scarcely resembled a man. When they were all said and done, when they gambled his clothes, we're told this in verse 15, or verse 50. And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spear. At what time? 3 p.m. Is anybody's heart full and broken at the same time? That our Lord would so orchestrate the only way to forgive us of our sins. He would, the only way to get, put us in a right standing with the Lord, the sacrificial lamb had to come. And he had to live among us. And he had to do what? Live a blameless life. He had to be without sin. He had to be without blemish. And Jesus endured everything we endure. And yet, sin not and, and loved you and I so much. Can you put yourself in the place where he cries out, My father, my father, why have you forsaken me? Heli, Heli, Lama Sabathani. Why have you forsaken me, my king, my God, my Lord? Because he's carrying my sin. That's why God forsook him. He was carrying the sin of my home and carrying the sin of your home. That's why the Passover lamb was slaughtered. This Passover lamb, his throat wasn't slit, but we are told that they pierced his, his wrist. We're told they put two feet together and they drive a spike right through his two feet. We're told a crown of thorns was shoved down past the skull into the brain matter. We're told the Lamb of God was slaughtered and sacrificed on a cross. But not just at any time. At 3 p.m. So from A.D. 33 with the death of our Lord and the resurrection three days later, we now have no need for a Passover lamb. We enter to covenant relationship with the Passover lamb. And if this doesn't stir your heart, I don't know what will. That his plans and his purposes all came to pass from the beginning of scripture, 42 generations going down the line, millennia going down. The Passover lamb sacrificed himself for you and for me, and it changes everything. So when you begin to understand the significance of it, the lamb that had to be slaughtered for Passover, you know what it does? It gives us the inspiration of the lamb. That right now, you and I, we're living in November 8th on the precipice of a November 9th experience where everything in our life could change. God can do so much exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ask or think if we look to the Passover lamb, the one who came the one who was for us, not against us, the one who strategically planned it all. He's got something in store for you and I. He's got something so special that he'll be slaughtered to come into covenant relationship with you and I, that our lives could be different. And so I want to challenge you to live through this week and live through the rest of your days that this is November 8th. We are so close to November 9th because the Passover lamb has come and paid the price for you and for I. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, God. We thank you for 
what we can learn in your scripture, God, and how you show us how near you are to the broken and how near you are to our hearts, God. And today, for each and every person, I pray that they would be inspired by the Passover lamb. They'd be inspired and take a posture of expectation, a posture of expectancy that, God, you're about to do something. Oh, no one here, AD 33, was waiting for this. No one was expecting this, and yet everything was about to change. In Jesus' name, give us a posture of expectancy to expect you to move, to expect you to heal, to expect you to transform. Someone begin talking to God right now, expecting God to move in your behalf, expecting him to move not according to your schedule, but his schedule, expecting his kingdom come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, expecting God to have his way. Jesus expected, he said, Father, if it be your will, he didn't name and claim it. He didn't order God around. He didn't demand God. He said, if it be your will. And so, Father, if it be your will, we walk into your purpose and your promises. We receive the November 9th of our life. We should live in expectation. We serve a God who the scripture declares does more than even our finite imaginations can come up with in our homes, in our workplaces, in our community, and in our lives. Thank you for the inspiration of this lamb. Thank you for the blameless lamb who took the sins of the world. Thank you, Jesus, for not one moment ever turning back, for not one moment ever compromising, for not one moment ever giving up on us like we've given up on you in moments and in seasons. Thank you. Lord, let every man, woman, and student lead today with inspiration of the Lamb, I pray. And lastly, with your heads bowed, if you are in this place and you are far from Jesus, if you have walked with him at one point in your life and you you walked away, we're going to pray a prayer with you that you would return to the Lord. The scripture teaches that God is married to the backslider. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And so we want to welcome you to rededicate your life back to the king. We find in the church, that's the most frequent person who attends the church, those who are far from God in that manner. And the other individual, you may have never prayed a prayer to receive the Lord. You may be new. Someone may have invited you. You may be watching online. This is your moment to surrender to the king who loves you and is for you. So no matter where you find yourself as a church family, we love you. We're for you. We exist as a church for moments like this. And we're going to pray with you. So church, let's pray with those who are praying that prayer. If that is you, assume a position of posture. Some people raise their hands. Some people bow their, their head or bow their knee. But pray this prayer with us and mean it in your heart. Lord God, we believe in you. We repent of our sins and welcome Jesus into our lives. Holy Spirit, give us a hunger for your word and for discipleship the rest of our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Church family, give those a hand who prayed that prayer for the first time. We love you. God bless you. We hope that you are challenged, impacted, and blessed by the message today. For more information, please visit LegacyChurchAI.org or take a moment to follow us on Instagram at LegacyChurchAI.